Hello and welcome to the Highway to Health show. My guest for today is Leah McCulloch. Leah is an international wellness speaker affectionately known as the Fibro Lady. She is the author of two critically acclaimed books, Freedom from Fibromyalgia, The Seven Steps to Complete Recovery, and Eat to Energize, Strategies and Recipes for Using the Number One Superfood for Energy. I don't want to spoil the interview, but just to give you some context, Leah spent six years mostly bedridden while suffering with fibromyalgia. Now, I'm sure you've heard of fibromyalgia, but chances are that if you don't know anyone closer who's suffering from it, then you're probably not familiar with it. In this episode, you'll hear from Leah about the symptoms of fibromyalgia and how her life became almost impossible to live once these symptoms started taking control of her. Thankfully, as many other patients have done with different conditions, she took ownership, learned as much as she could, and managed to turn it around by following the recommendations she now gives to others going through it, both in her speaking and through her books. Just to give you an idea, she went from being bedridden, morbidly obese, struggling with infertility, depression, PTSD, IBS, and several other very scary acronyms to recovering her energy, losing the weight, getting pregnant, and now even pursuing a black belt in martial arts. This is an incredibly inspiring story and one I'm sure you will learn a lot from, regardless of your own health. Now, before we go on to today's episode, I want to remind you that I'm still taking applications to work with you, helping you smash every health and wellness goal you may have set for yourself this year. Let me help you make this the healthiest and most vibrant decade of your life. To get started, just head on over to dre.show forward slash coach and complete an application. There you'll see I have health coaching programs for every budget, from group coaching for less than you spend on Starbucks to VIP one-on-one coaching. And there's even a free first steps program that you can sign up for there. So there's really no excuses. All you need is the desire to improve your health. That's it. Remember, it's dre.show forward slash coach. In any case, I don't want to keep you any longer. Here is my conversation with Liam McCulloch. And remember, you are on the highway to health and I'm your guide to get you there. Are you ready to live ageless? Want to discover alternative health choices, cutting edge nutrition and fitness for the entire family? Welcome to Highway to Health Show with your host, Dr. E, the stem cell guy, where Dr. E helps you live ageless. And now, here's your host, Dr. E. So, Leah McCullough, the Fibro Lady, joining us today. Welcome to the Highway to Health Show. Hey, thank you. Como esta usted? <laughs> I'm doing great. And most of our <laughs> listeners, I'm sure they're doing great as well. Looking forward to our conversation. Why don't you, before we get started, why don't you share a little bit with our audience about your own health journey? What got you here? Well, I'd had some depression issues back when I was a teenager. And even before that, I actually had some issues with GI issues with constipation and stuff like that. So there, I had a track record of some gut issues. And then when I was in the army, in the 90s during the Persian Gulf War, a bunch of things happened. I call it like kind of a perfect storm for an autoimmune disorder. Fibromyalgia is not technically an autoimmune disorder, but you know, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, you know, so that's when I became symptomatic of fibromyalgia. When I was in the army during the Persian Gulf War, I didn't go to the Persian Gulf. I uh, stayed in California, but I didn't have a choice on that either way. But that's when I became symptomatic at 23 years old. 
I went seven years. Nobody knew what was going on with me. I was told anything from you might have MS to, well, we see something on your x-ray, but we still feel like your symptoms are psychosomatic. And that was highly insulting to me because, you know, I knew myself. And then as time went on, though, I started to question my sanity. Like, well, am I just crazy? <laughs> am I, you know, like, and I don't know it because I can't find anything wrong with me. But yet I'm still feeling all this pain and fatigue when I shouldn't be and all the tests come out normal. So seven years to get a diagnosis of being told I was crazy and all that. And, and this is a very familiar story to people who have fibromyalgia. I got diagnosed in 1998. In 1999, I got hurt in an accident at work, and that was the beginning of the end for a really long time. I didn't work again at a regular job ever because <laughs> I don't, what I do now is not a regular job. So from there, I went into an even more severe depression, and I spent some time in Bosnia, you know, with connected to the military, and I got PTSD from that. Well, when my physical health deteriorated, so did my mental health. All my demons came out to play. The pain was insane, narcotic, heavy-duty narcotic medications didn't even touch it. The GI issues were terrible. And I was on 12 prescription medications at the end, and I had tried over 30 different ones. I had all the resources available. I tried all the alternative stuff. I tried all the conventional stuff, and nothing was helping me. And that's where I was at the end of my illness. And that was about when I turned 40. So that was about, I mean, if you started at 17, at 23, sorry, that was about 17 years of battling with all these different symptoms and signs and just deteriorating, right? Right. And, you know, for a big chunk of that time, I was told you're crazy. And even after I got diagnosed, I was told, well, it's not really a true diagnosis. And that might be true, but people are really hurting. People are really hurting in a consistent way where you can say, well, that might be fibromyalgia. That sounds like fibromyalgia. I understand it's a diagnosis of exclusion still, and there's tender point exam, things like that. But people have these consistent symptoms. Yeah, no, what I find really surprising with most of these things is that you can go for so long and the entire medical establishment, and I'm a traditionally Western trained medical doctors. So that's the way I was trained as well. And it's just very simple to say, well, we're not really convinced about the diagnosis. That's not really the diagnosis. Thinking that giving you a label is going to solve everything or that the reason why the treatment isn't working is because you don't have the right label or you don't fit into the specific definition of the one thing. And apparently everybody forgot to figure out or to ask and say, yeah, but you're still in pain. So what are we going to do about that? Not so much about the label, whether it fits, it doesn't. What are we going to do about the pain? So as this whole thing was unfolding, what were your thoughts throughout the whole thing? I mean, did you at any point think like, oh, I think I'm getting better. I think I'm seeing the light at the end of the tunnel or? Um, when I was really sick, I would have good days and bad days, except for the last six or seven years, I was in bed 12 to 16 hours a day. And I was in a horrible, bleak depression and I couldn't work. You know, I eventually got on social security disability for major depression, anxiety, PTSD, and then a little bit of fibromyalgia. They still don't, I mean, it's still, it's technically something you can get disability for, but they would really rather give you disability for depression. But I had all that. And before that accident at work, I could still work. And I would have times where I could exercise and work, but I was always still in pain. Like once it started, I was always in pain. It's just the pain got worse and worse and worse. 
to the point where I felt like suicide was my escape hatch and that I was always going to leave that as an option. And that's a dirty secret in our community that people accidentally overdose or, you know, when I was really afraid of doing that, or they're just going to end it because the pain is unbearable. And when I talk to people about what the pain of fibromyalgia is really like from somebody who's on the other side of it now, it sounds like I'm exaggerating. It sounds like, oh my gosh, how can these people be alive and be in that much pain? And it's like, yeah, you're getting it. It's crazy. So how do you explain this to people who have been on the other side? Because I mean, I've obviously never had fibromyalgia and I'm guessing most of the people listening to us today, and that's why it's so great to have you here to raise awareness about this. They've never experienced it. Maybe somebody is listening who has experienced it and they want to learn your strategies. But for those of us who have never experienced something like that, how would you describe it? Well, I guess to make it simple and for something that a lot of people can relate to, it's like having a really bad case of the flu, but no real fever, but a bad case of the flu without the respiratory stuff, but the body aches and the fatigue and the feeling flat like that, but you never get well. I see. And that is, in my experience of working with a few, it was very few really patients with fibromyalgia that we saw at our clinic for stem cell treatments. I think that obviously, well, the pain and the body aches, that's really, really bad, obviously. But I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the thing that drives most of you crazy is the constant low energy, that lack of drive of not being able to do things. It's not that you don't want to, it's just that you simply physically can't muster the energy to do it. Is that kind of like an adequate way to describe it? Right. So the pain can be kind of controlled to some extent. At least the edge can be taken off, but the fatigue, there's not a lot that can be done about that when you're in the depths of it, you know? And a lot of things that help take the edge off create fatigue. So it's kind of a catch 22. Exactly. Yeah. Cause it's not like, you know, for pretty much everyone else, it's, well, if you want to have high energy throughout the day, all you need to do is exercise for a little bit in the morning or do something along those lines. But if you already have a tank that is almost always running on empty, then you're not going to invest that in exercising because that's only going to spend the whole thing. Right. Right. And I get really frustrated when although a lot of doctors, they say, well, if you just exercise, you'd recover from fibromyalgia or you'd get better. And actually it can be detrimental to people and that's not talked about enough. It can actually exacerbate what's going on and make people feel worse for longer. And the reason is, is because exercise detoxify you on a mechanical level with your lymphatic system. So your body can't handle the toxins as it is. That's why it's in toxic overload. That's why it's fatigued. That's why you're in pain. It's interrupting metabolic processes. So when you add more to the mix, it's like revving up a broken engine. Now, you mentioned something interesting again, and it is about doctors not really fully understanding what the condition is. And for the last couple of years, it has really surprised me, really shocked me, how many doctors treat conditions that they're not fully knowledgeable about. And I'm seeing this so much right now, especially in my field, in the regenerative medicine field and stem cell treatment field, because suddenly doctors find themselves with access to a stem cell product, specifically in the US happens a lot. So they find themselves with access to a stem cell product that they can simply inject, and then they realize and they decide that they can treat anything that can be ever treated with stem cell treatment. So then you're suddenly seeing an ortho surgeon who all of a sudden is now offering treatments for autism and cerebral palsy and fibromyalgia and rheumatoid arthritis and all these different conditions because he has access to stem cells. 
but they don't really fully understand the condition. They don't understand what is broken that triggers those symptoms, what is not working well. And most importantly, in my opinion, they don't understand the patient suffering from it. Because there's two components to practicing medicine. One is understanding the condition. So what's happening on a cellular level and a tissular level, what's going on there that's creating all these symptoms. But the other is trying to empathize and to understand and to really kind of like get a feel for what the patient may be going through. And I'm not saying that you have to have had that condition, but I'm saying that once you've seen a couple hundred of patients like that, you start empathizing. And that's something that is severely lacking with conditions such as fibromyalgia. Was this kind of like your experience throughout the years that you were waiting for treatment? Well, first I want to say, I like doctors and, you know, some of my best friends are medical doctors. Girl I grew up with, she's a medical doctor and, you know, we're still really good friends to this day. Here's what I think. I think maybe one of the reasons why doctors will utilize stuff that they're not exactly completely proficient in is because they're belly to belly with people that are in pain. They can see they're in pain and they're healers. They want to help, you know, they have compassion. So they want to use any tool they can to help. And they're like, well, you know, the risks might outweigh the potential risks are this, here's the potential benefits. They talk to the person, hey, do you want to try it? I mean, I can see that kind of playing out. Now, and doctors are human too. So when they're faced with somebody who has so many different things going on and nothing they do works, it's frustrating. It's super frustrating because fibromyalgia does not fit the mold. Most chronic conditions are not helped with Western medicine anyway. Most chronic, there's a few that are, but Fibromyalgia is one of them that is definitely what helps with fibromyalgia is definitely alternative stuff. And the conventional stuff just, you know, it suppresses the symptoms. So, you know, people can kind of function, but it really doesn't get at any kind of the root issues and it doesn't really help in the long run. Yeah, exactly. And I didn't mean it to throw doctors under the bus. As a matter of fact, like I said, at the beginning, I even told you I'm a traditionally Western trained physician. And that's why I know the things that happened. And what I mentioned about it is it has more to do with the fact that a lot of the times because, and I agree with you, I don't think that it is like other people think that it's just greed and that it's just, well, they just want to do everything. No, I do think that it is that desire to help. But what I'm trying to get to is that there are different components that we need to fully understand in order to treat a patient and to help them heal. Because really as physicians or as any health professional, our main job is to facilitate healing. And really we cannot do that or help a patient heal if we don't fully understand both the condition and how the patient is going through it. So that's basically what I wanted to say. I didn't think you were throwing doctors under the bus though. Sometimes people think that about me and I'm like, no, I think doctors are really trying to help. And I think they're fighting with one hand tied behind their back, you know, on a lot of this stuff. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Especially in most medical healthcare systems and insurance-based systems, doctors are fighting a lot of the times with both their hands behind their back. So yeah, it is very, very difficult. Now here's the interesting part. What changed? When did you realize that this isn't working and we need to do something different? Okay. So this is a little bit of like (laughs) woo-woo mixed with something like Really concrete, physical, okay? Perfect. Love the woo-woo. Yeah, the woo-woo part. Okay, so this is back when Oprah was on daytime TV. So this is like 11 or 12 years ago. So it was a long time ago. And I watched a lot of daytime TV because I wasn't doing anything else. Don't tell me that now Oprah also cures fibro. No, but she was a catalyst. And she's a great catalyst for a lot of stuff. I love her uh, Super Soul Sunday stuff. 
So I was lying in bed <laughs> and her and Jack Canfield were having a discussion about like have an audacious goal. And I got really depressed because I thought, man, if I won the lottery, you know, like everybody wants to win the lottery, get a flood of money. My life wouldn't change. I might be in a better bedroom, <laughs> but I'd still be in bed all day and I'd still be suffering. I was like at a dead end with all the stuff I could do. So I was like, well, gosh, that sucks. So then I was like, well, you know, an audacious goal. So let me just, you know what my audacious goal is? I want to have optimal health. I don't want to just get better. I want to have optimal health. So I started like a discipline where I prayed and meditated every day after my two o'clock pain pill kicked in. (laughs) So in about six weeks, I had a dream. I was back at work Now I've been in bed for six years at this point. So having a dream, I was back at work, like nothing in my daily life would trigger that. So I thought that was significant. And within a couple of months, I met this woman who is a holistic practitioner and she helped me put the final pieces of the puzzle together. So after three weeks of doing what she said, when we found the right kind of mixture of stuff, I thought I was cured. I wasn't, I had a long way to go. You know, I still had like seven months to go and all those prescriptions to get off of. But I mean, I made such a big difference in just three weeks. I was really encouraged to get going. So then within seven months of starting that, I was off all 12 prescription medications. I'd lost 70 pounds. And wait a minute, it gets way better. So the one year mark after I started that meditation, I'd recovered. I got off all 12 prescriptions. I lost 70 pounds. And then I found out for the first time in my life at 41 years old that I was pregnant. Wow. Yeah. So nine months later, I had a healthy baby boy and he's now... 10 years old (laughs) and in fifth grade, which I can't hardly believe that. So yeah. And I'm like the oldest mom at school, (laughs) which I don't care. But but you know what? You say that it is woo woo. And I thought you were going to go in a completely different direction because in so many of our previous episodes, we've discussed this whole thing about mindset and not just mindfulness, which I'm a big fan of, but mindset. And I've shared before how we were fortunate enough at the clinic that I used to run that we had a team of doctors. So we saw a lot of different conditions that we were treating. And many of them were different conditions that had been given almost a death sentence by different doctors. And not in a way of saying you've got three weeks, but in a way of saying you're going to live with this for the rest of your life. And we're just monitoring you every, you know, six or eight months and see how much worse you're getting. And basically that's what you've got for the rest of your life, right? And what we saw was that people who came in with a positive mindset and with a positive attitude, they did much better. And if you look at them in paper and you see their numbers, their labs, their charts, everything, the two people look pretty much the same or similar. However, one of them had a positive mindset and the other one had that defeated mindset, kind of like saying, well, my doctor told me that this is not going to work. He's convinced this isn't going to work, but my wife dragged me down here. So let's give it a shot. It's not going to work. We knew it. It's like, you know what? We're not going to see any improvement. And on the other hand, the other people were like, no, you know what? I was convinced and something inside me told me that this was something I needed to try. And so I did. And here I am. And then a couple of weeks later, they're doing much, much better. So not surprised at all that that was your catalyst. And again, very important to say, it's not just that. It's not just wishing and dreaming. 
then you put in the work. But if it helps you get to the point where you put in the work, then that's the definition of a catalyst. And it's so important. Right. And, you know, and physical things happen. Like, you know, there were supplements involved. There was changes made, you know, but I was open to it then. I think I could have passed right by the cure for fibromyalgia. And this was not labeled the cure for fibromyalgia. You know, this was labeled, oh, you know, like here's something to help you get healthier. And I thought, well, you know, first of all, there's no such thing as an incurable disease. So why not fibromyalgia and why not me? And also, you know, if there's a way to find it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try everything. And in the meantime, I'm going to be as healthy as I can be with what I can do. That was my attitude. Exactly. And I think that is such an important attitude of saying, you know what? Sure, there are a lot of things that I cannot do, but among all the things that I can do, these are the ones that I'm choosing to, and these are the ones that I'm choosing to focus on. And I think that's a great testimony. Now, here's another interesting thing. What happened, and you mentioned that it took you about six weeks. So what happened during those first six weeks? And at some point, that was a catalyst. You said, you know what, I'm just going to start focusing on this. I'm going to start visualizing and praying about this. But it took six weeks for it to really start kicking in. Did at any point, the, you know, second or third week, you go like, oh my God, I'm just wasting my time. This isn't working. Uh, honestly, I didn't have anything else better to do. But I also was inspired by my 90-year-old Oma in Germany. She couldn't do anything to help around the house. You know, she was 90. She was watching TV all day. She was actually watching the Pope on TV all day and <laughs> really loud. <laughs> and so she could hear it. And she felt like her job was to pray for everybody. And she felt really connected and like she was really contributing by praying every day. So that's one of the reasons I didn't give up because I really didn't have anything else better to do. I had what I call the faith of a mustard seed, right? And like, I just like, well, I don't have anything else better to do. I'm going to try it. Plus, I feel like I am contributing by praying. Yeah. So that's what happened those six weeks that kept me going. Then I had some insights. The really great thing about meditation, I think one of the best things besides inner peace and calm, which is super awesome too, is being open to insights. People have different beliefs about where they're from, you know, but nonetheless, they helped me. I was at the doctor's office. The doctor I went to, really lucky to have him in my life. His name's Hal Blavin. He's a former president of the American Holistic Medical Association. And he was probably one of the top doctors for fibromyalgia in the world. And he was nearby me in my hometown in Cincinnati. He had just come from a conference. He had this book by Dr. Sherry Rogers called Detoxify or Die. So I picked it up. Now, because of these insights I've had, I already started putting money in my budget to try something every month. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to try it. So I had money to buy the book, which was like, I don't know, 13 bucks or something. So she had this great book about how all these toxins are messing up all these metabolic processes in everybody's body, but she didn't really have a lot of actionable answers, in my opinion, for somebody with fibromyalgia to get the toxins out. So then when I met this holistic practitioner in like December of 2007, she was talking about detoxification with a mineral called zeolites, which that sounds like a brand name, but it's its geological name, clenoptiolite zeolites. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to buy that because I was kind of primed in my mind because I'd read all these steps that had to happen beforehand and nothing really happened with it. Well, she got back to me and she says, Hey, try this colonizing probiotic. And I'm like, look, I've tried probiotics. I've got them at the health food store. I bought them online. I even got them at the doctor's office. They don't do anything for me. She's like, well, this one's different. It's colonizing. I didn't really understand what that meant. 
But I was like, okay, whatever. At this point, I would have eaten extremely anything. I would have eaten, I would have eaten dog poop if I thought it would have helped me. <laughs> I mean, it was that's how desperate I was. So, and this stuff is not necessarily pleasant tasting. So that's when in three weeks, when we got the colonizing probiotic plus this clinoptiolite zeolites together, they work synergistically. It was like instead of one plus one equals two, it was one plus one equals two hundred. And that's what got me out of bed. That's what got me my life back. And that what's made everything else work. I see. What did you think the first couple of days when you suddenly woke up one day and you're like, wow, I feel like I can do things? Oh, I was shocked because I was like, wait a minute, like the pain's worse. I can move. I feel what has she done to me? <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, after you know, 17 years, it's gotta be a shock. So a very positive one, I'm sure. Well, she had recovered from fibromyalgia. So I was like, I'm going to, this was my only hope. You know, like this is the only person I've ever met that's recovered from fibromyalgia and something I can do. I met a lady before who had had a, an angel healing. <laughs> so she'd had a spontaneous healing. So I'd never met anybody who like had recovered. Something, yeah. 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 With something I could do. <laughs> How do you end up meeting her? She was given a talk called, why is everyone so sick locally? You know, and I saw it in a little free magazine and I'm like, I don't care why everyone's so sick. I want to know why I'm so sick. <laughs> wow. That's great. And three weeks later, your life turned around. Big time. Yeah. It was amazing. And I was like, I'm cured. And she's like, no, <laughs> you got a long way to go. And I'm like, what? And I think a lot of practitioners would have planted a flag in that and declared victory. Yeah. And gone on. She's like, no, you, and what happened was her and I developed an accidental coaching relationship. So I got better and her and I started doing some business projects together because I was like ready to kind of get out in the world again after being basically in prison for six years. So her and I started doing some business projects together. So I had access to her over a long period of time and we became really good friends. We're still really close friends. So I was able to pick her brain and she was able to say, no, you can go further. No, you can go further. Like over this period of about a year, we were working together and stuff a lot. So what I've developed in my business as a international fibromyalgia coach, <laughs> I help people from all over the world, mostly United States and Canada, but in Australia, but most, you know, all over the world, we have clients. I've taken that success and I've systematized it. There's a program that somebody can just kind of lock into and get that same kind of benefit that I had. That was going to be my next couple of questions. Talk about how you're currently, you know, your role helping people with fibromyalgia. Now, the interesting thing behind this, and I'm pretty positive that that's going to be the answer, is that what you're suggesting, and I don't know them, but I'm guessing that probably some of these protocols and some of these lifestyle modifications and diet and all these different things, they are not to specifically treat fibromyalgia, but really to lead a healthier life. So it's something that pretty much anyone can follow, you know, because it's probably avoiding toxins, avoiding unnecessary exposures, eating well, doing a little bit of this, you know, just living healthily. Is this accurate? You know, you hit the nail on the head. So what's really cool is, so fibromyalgia never travels alone. It always has like a bad gang of characters with it, like depression and IBS and migraines and people don't have normal weight distribution, like all kinds of things with it. What we find is that when people do this, it's a systemic cleanse, it's a systemic healing, and they have a systemic global reaction. So all the coexisting conditions clear up too. 
I mean, there's some really specific things like with me, with PTSD, I had to do meridian tapping, but the depression just went away and the anxiety. I mean, I just kind of had to be mindful about it, but it went away. And then the PTSD went away with some extra things. But for the most part, you know, the IBS just cleared up. I had dry eyes and dry mouth. Those went away. Of course, being off prescription medications helped with that immensely too. I started sleeping. I was able to start exercising and I just created a upward spiral of healing. That's what I see is people get rid of the coexisting conditions. Now there's some ceilings there, you know, like if your arm's cut off, we're not going to regrow an arm. You know, if there's like a mechanical issue there, like if you have a broken back, that's that ceiling there. That makes total sense. But the reason I bring it up is because the more I talk to different doctors who are really specialized in any one of these chronic disorders, and the more I talk to patients who have learned how to overcome it, and they share some of their strategies and some of their protocols, the more I realize that this isn't something specific for this condition. When I look at the type of diets and the kind of recommendations that most of us give children within the autistic spectrum, which is something that I dealt with a lot during seven or eight years that I was at the clinic, it's just a recipe for a healthier life. Avoid the most common allergens, avoid toxins, avoid toxic exposures, just be active, spend time outdoors, sleep well. It's just regular healthy things. Now, you obviously cannot walk us through the entirety of the protocol or the kind of recommendations you give in this podcast, but what are kind of like the summarized points that you guys work with when somebody gets involved with you guys? The big thing is what I call the fibro cleanse. And that's the foundation for everything that makes everything else work is to get the toxins out and jumpstart the healing of the gut with a colonizing probiotic. And it doesn't have to be like a specific brand, but the fibroladystore.com it's a convenience for my community to have a, like kind of one-stop shopping. And there's a lot of supplements in that store that are usually only available in doctor's offices. And I got special permission from the manufacturers to have them in the store specifically because the fibromyalgia community is so underserved. Like I had pre-hypertension, pre-diabetes, pre-heart disease. I could have gone, you know, I had depression. I had all these things going on. I could have gone in any direction. I chose the fibro lady because People aren't being helped and people are suffering now needlessly. And I really wanted to make a difference. Yeah, I think it's really good that you recognize that because a lot of the time, like you said, it would have been easier for you from a business point of view or from a business perspective to just go into hypertension or you know metabolic syndromes or depression. But realizing that there is a community, there's a group of people who are suffering, who are going through something that you're very familiar with and that you probably don't wish upon anyone and decided to serve them, I think that's incredibly valuable and profound and speaks volumes about your mission to help other people. So I think that's really, really good what you're doing. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. So where can people, for instance, anyone listening to us right now, where can they go to find out more about all these things? It's really easy to Google the fibro lady. Um, no one can really spell Leah McCullough. So I had to have a, a nickname. <laughs> So everything's branded that way. I have a YouTube channel. I have a Facebook and website. It has tons of free information. And if they really want to uh, dive deep and it's like some pain answers for right now, I have a printable as five things you can do right now to help fibromyalgia pain. It's on my website, thefibrolady.com, and you can opt in for it there, or you can go to fibropainreliefnow.com. So that's either way, you're going to get to the same place. Lots of free information on my website, though, thefibrolady.com. 
you can see my story. You can get an excerpt from my book. There's all kinds of things there, recipes, all kinds of things. Perfect. Well, I'll make sure to link to all of those in this episode's description. If you're watching this on YouTube, you just need to scroll down at the video's description. If you're listening to this as a podcast, same thing. Just look in your podcast app and find the description and you'll see the links right there to everything that Leah just mentioned. The other thing that I wanted to ask you, and maybe I don't remember correctly, but as far as I recall, fibro affects mostly women. Is that correct? You know, I get a fair share of men. And what I've found is that men will have very similar symptoms, but it'll be diagnosed differently. So about 10, 15 years ago, if they'd been in the military and they'd been in the Persian Gulf War, they got Persian Gulf War syndrome. And it has 90% of the same symptoms as fibromyalgia, <laughs> which if I had spent one day in theater, they would have said Persian Gulf War syndrome, by the way, even though I didn't have, well, to my knowledge, I did not have the anthrax shot. Then they'll get like myofascial pain disorder, or they'll get chronic fatigue. I see a lot of men with chronic fatigue, and then they'll also have pain, but they won't get diagnosed with fibromyalgia. So I don't think it's as prevalent in men. And I think that has a lot to do with muscle mass opposed to fat cells because toxins are stored in fat cells and women have a higher percentage of fat in their body, even if they're optimal weight. And people with fibromyalgia mostly tend to not be a healthy weight, whether it's overweight or underweight. It's a smaller subset of people who are underweight, but it's actually a much more dangerous situation when they're underweight. So I think that has a lot to do with it. And then I think men may not, I think there's a lot of men, especially younger men that help themselves to cannabis to cope. And then they don't feel like they need to go to the medical doctors because women go to medical doctors seven times more than men do. I see. That's actually an interesting insight because you're absolutely right. Men, we're far more likely to self-medicate with either legal or illegal substances. And you're right. A lot of the times it's also that shame of seeking out and calling out for help. You were mentioning something right now, and I wanted to ask you, obviously, as someone who has figured out a way to sort of reverse most of these symptoms, what do you think causes or triggers this fibromyalgia? And obviously, I understand you're not a doctor in all these different things, but in your opinion, and I even want to say in your expert opinion, because you actually have, in fact, been through it for so many years and helped so many people. So what do you think is causing this fibro in people? Because the medical establishment doesn't seem to agree on that. Well, when you look at what helps, that's a clue to what the cause could be. And getting to the root of the root of the root is always an interesting question. But what I see is when people get, when they do this detoxification protocol where they're getting heavy metals out, volatile organic compounds, plastics, and things like that out of their body. And at the same time, they're jump-starting the healing of the digestive system. So there's gut issues. And that means, you know, they have leaky gut. They don't have the microbes in there. I'm friends with a gastroenterologist. He's like, what you're saying, we don't do. You know, like we're barely touching on this. He says, I'm sending all my IBS and fibro patients to you. I'm like, good. <laughs> so, but those two things combined, the toxins disrupt and displace all the metabolic processes. Like if you think about, the Krebs cycle, which, you know, I was a biology major in college. So the Krebs cycle, you know, that makes ATP, mercury displaces sodium in the Krebs cycle. And when you're making bone, calcium is displaced by lead. We are the most calcium fortified nation in the world. You know, you can buy orange juice with extra calcium in it, which is kind of crazy. Yet we have super high rates of osteoporosis. Why is that? 
where's the lead coming from? Where's the mercury coming from? You know, there's toxins in our air and our water, medications, food, and also like with GMOs, the glyphosate, the Roundup, that kills the microbiome inside your body and the antibiotics and things like that. So it's a whole slew of things, but fortunately there's modern answers for our modern world. That's exactly the reason why I wanted to ask you, because the more I learn about these different conditions, the more I realize that most of them are linked to things that we are eating in a way because most of them originate in our gut. And because we've damaged our gut one way or another, whether it is with medication, antibiotics, toxins, all of these different things, that was probably the one thing. And I've said this before many times when we started treating autism, we really didn't, I really didn't know anything about autism. We started treating autism because this doctor who was referring patients to us kept sending them down. So we realized that, okay, we're going to see a lot of kids with autism. We better start learning about it. And what I realized that I was shocked about, and I know it is shocking for a lot of doctors, is that autism is not a neurological disorder, for instance. It is a gut disorder that manifests neurologically, but it all starts in the gut. And there are so many other conditions where the problem is that we have in a way, wiped out our microbiome, we have damaged our gut lining, and we're absorbing a bunch of stuff that we shouldn't be absorbing. And we're having all these different effects on a cellular level. You know, I had a very similar insight. I was at a natural health conference and you know how they have breakout sessions and you go like, I'm going in the cancer room, I'm going in the heart disease room, I'm going in the diabetes room, heal the gut, heal the gut, heal the gut. Now, some of the details were different, right? But it was just heal the gut, heal the gut, heal the gut. And what I do that's really different is get the toxins out in a gentle way, profound but gentle way. So a lot of people, you know, they're like, I've tried probiotics. I've tried detoxification. Like, you probably haven't tried zeolites in this way combined with a colonizing probiotic because there's a ton of probiotics on the market. Hardly any of them are colonizing, just a handful. And zeolites just is kind of now coming on the market, even though I've been recovered for 11 years, I thought by now it would be more well-known, but there's a difference in when it's kind of the raw zeolites that just kind of grind up as opposed to something that's been put through a chemical process and activated. So where it's hungry for toxins and there's a little bit of expertise needed there because some people with fibromyalgia are so super sensitive. They have like multiple chemical sensitivities. Everything affects them. So they have to start with a super minute amount just to start building up and building up and building up. But what amazes me is these people who nothing works for, who react to everything, and they don't just react normal. They have like the really weird reactions. Even with a minute amount, they get results in about a month or, you know, it might be three months, but they start getting results even when they're taking teeny, 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 tiny amount. And eventually they're able to work their way up as well, I'm guessing. Right, right. It takes them longer, but they start seeing results. And that's what's important. Most of the time, what people really need, especially in conditions like that, is just to recover that hope, just to see something that is that kind of puts them again facing the right direction and not thinking, well, no matter what I try, I keep, you know, bumping into a wall and suddenly saying like, oh, 
we're not there. We're not even nearly there. But at least I feel like I'm making progress. I feel like it's getting better. Little by little, but it's getting better. You know, I wanted to say something else about the food. So I'm involved with a natural food group called the Weston A. Price Foundation. And what I learned from being in that group, I actually was a chapter leader in Dayton, Ohio, was that it's not the food, it's what's been done to the food. So it's not bread. It's what's been like, we don't prepare bread properly from the seed all the way to the table. It's not done the traditional way. If we look at our ancestors, they were healthy, they were robust, and they lived to reproduce generation after generation. So if you looked at what your great, great, great grandparents ate and what they did with their lives and, and they worked hard and had fresh air and sunshine, everything was organic then, right? They also had straight teeth. Their children weren't wearing glasses. I mean, I think half the kids in my son's school wear glasses, just about. You know, it's like a lot. And I think that's a nutrition thing, partly expressed. You know, there might be like a genetic expression of that due to some sort of lack of a nutrition, but I, I'm going to digress there. But I see, well, like, it's not the food, it's what's been done to the food. If you eat, pasture raised eggs that are organic. And if, you know, so it's not the egg, it's not the cholesterol. It's like, it's the soy that's been fed to the chicken who's trapped in a little cage, you know, it's an automatic farm, you know, like if you have a chicken that's happy and eating bugs and zooming around in the sunshine, you get an egg that looks like sunshine. You know, the yolks are orange. That's what builds an entire animal, like the brain, the eyes, the feathers. I mean, what could that do for you? You know? the good food has been very much maligned. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the word. And, you know, for several different reasons and convenience and shelf life and a lot of things. And again, I don't think we've gotten to this point because food manufacturers are evil. I just think that evolution has gotten us to, you know, the last three, four, five decades of evolution in terms of how the food manufacturing has evolved, uh, has gotten to this point. But it is about time that we start recognizing that it's not, really serving us and that it hasn't served us for the last 40, 50, 60 years, but we're now really noticing it. We're now really seeing those results and it's time to start turning those things around. I'm a big fan of the Weston A. Price Foundation. Oh, good. And I follow a lot of the recommendations. As a matter of fact, with our baby, that's how we, when he stopped breastfeeding, we followed a lot of those recommendations and, you know, we're very intense in a way about what he eats because of how vulnerable he's at this point. You know, he's two and he has all these different vulnerabilities that maybe as adults we've already, or we're okay and we don't suffer as much but for him we want him to avoid those for as long as possible as long as he'll let us and then eventually he'll find his own way but what i want is when he's aware of the effect that certain foods have on him i want him to be able to notice that if we start numbing his system right now with sugar and with gluten and with all these different things that we believe aren't very beneficial to him he won't be able to tell the difference. And you can have conversations like that with children. When my son was about that age, I made a rule, no blue food. He knows what the color blue is, right? If it's blue or if it hangs out with blue food, and I'm not talking about blueberries, <laughs> I'm talking about the Franken blue, you know, the <laughs> you know, like he can understand that. And children are not able to detoxify as efficiently as adults. And these very toxic artificial colors are marketed specifically to children. And I think it's terrible. And, and you're doing a really good job linking to him, like 
what you eat and how you feel. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. That's been our big emphasis. And people, a lot of times are like, well, it's just a treat. It's just a little bit of sweet. It's just this, it's just that. Why, why are you like that? And I said, because he, number one, he doesn't miss it because he's never had it. And number two, he doesn't need it. So it'll get to a point where he will be able to make his own decisions. And when he's four or five, or you know, he'll be able to try those things. And Or he'll go to a birthday party and he'll try it. But I want him to notice the difference in how he feels. Because I'm convinced that if he starts eating sugar and he starts eating all those toxic food additives right now, he will start becoming numb to them. So eventually, if he continues his diet and then he tries a Twinkie, let's say age four or five, then he'll notice. He'll say like, oh, wow, I don't feel so good after that. And I feel tired and I, you know, all these things. And then he'll learn. Dr. E, one of my proudest parenting moments was that my son went to go stay with my mother for dinner and she tried to give him macaroni and cheese, which I've never allowed him to have because, you know, so, so many problems with that. He spit it out and asked for more broccoli. Yes. <laughs> How old was he? I three or four. Wow. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I was like, woohoo. Well, somebody else was also sharing something like that about her son never having one of those like choco chip cookies. And then at a PTA meeting, he tried one. He kind of like tasted it and went like, what is this? And just kind of like spit it out. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, and you get to that point. And of course, a lot of us have been conditioned to think that that's a treat. And that's something that I've always spoken to my wife about. And she's actually a bit stricter about that than I am. And we just try to listen, he's not a dolphin, so we don't need to reward him. <laughs> right? But but we do that so often, like, oh, you've been so good. Here, have a cookie. Like, what are we trying to encourage here? So yeah, I think it's important for everyone to be aware of, of all these things. But Leah, this has been a wonderful, wonderful conversation. Thank you so much once again for the work that you do and for taking the time to share all this with us. And I'm sure that a lot of people are going to find a lot of very valuable information. We will be able to raise some awareness about fibro. And for those people who have fibro who are listening to us, I certainly hope that they get the one thing that I hope they get from this episode is hope because there is hope. There is light at the other side of the tunnel, but they have to be willing to put in some work. And I'm sure that most people listening, they're willing. They just don't know the exact path to take. So now that they found it, I am super excited for them. Yeah, I am too. I'm excited for them too. Because <laughs> once people have hope, there's going to be 10 ways to do it. You know? Absolutely. They're going to find different ways. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So once again, thank you so much. One final question. Did you have a good time here on the Highwood Health? Oh, yeah. This is great. Great. Awesome. That's what I like to hear. Yeah, we'll have, I'll have to return the favor. I'll tell you more about that later. Sure. Of course. Of course. I'd <laughs> yeah. love to. For everyone listening to us, thank you so much for tuning in once again. Remember that you can find all of the details, all of the links that we spoke about in our show notes that you can find at dre.show and also down below. So if you're listening as a podcast, just scroll to the episode description. You'll find it there. If you're watching on YouTube, same thing. Just scroll down and you'll find all the links. And you can even send me or Leia your questions and we'll do our best to get back to you. Thank you for listening to Dr. E's Highway to Health show, helping you learn the science of living ageless. Did you enjoy the show? Please like, share, and subscribe where you listen to podcasts. Dr. E wants to hear from you. Go to dre.show. Again, that's dre.show. Until next time, this is Dr. E's Highway to Health 
helping you live ageless. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. What was your favorite takeaway? Please share this with anyone you think could benefit from Leah's experiences. Remember that you can find the links to everything we discussed in this episode in the show notes. Just scroll down to this episode's description on your podcast app and tap on the appropriate link. And if you're really serious about taking your health and wellness to the next level, losing weight, getting fit, improving your energy, preventing disease, and kicking more butt, apply to work with me directly. There's different options and plans for every budget, so that's not an excuse. The only thing you need to bring is a burning desire to be better. Seriously, you got nothing to lose here. Just head on over to dre.show forward slash coach and fill the application. I will personally review it and get back to you with your next steps. But that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. You've been listening to Liam McCulloch and Dr. E talk about beating fibromyalgia. Thank you for tuning in. I will see you here next week. And remember, you are on the highway to health and I'm your guide to get you there.